Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I'm your host. And boy, it has been a busy couple weeks since our last show. Let's see, a lot has happened. Um, one of our past guests, Colin Shepard of Scottsdale Ducks Unlimited, um, he was on a show and uh, taught you all about uh, waterfowl hunting in Arizona. It was a great episode. If you haven't listened, I, I highly recommend going back and checking that out. But be forewarned. Waterfowl hunting is all consumptive, addictive, and it can be expensive um, if you if you go down that rabbit hole deep enough. So, so uh, you know, listen, listen at your own discretion there. Um, <clears throat> Scott, or I'm sorry, Colin invited uh, my little boy uh, Fielding on on a youth duck hunt, um, uh, along with another little girl, and boy, it was it was a kick. Um, so we had two kids, kid, two kids, two shotguns. Uh, a lot of ducks coming in, a lot of shooting, not a lot of knocking birds out of the air. Uh, both uh, both kids brought a duck home. My little boy got a nice big hen mallard, and the little girl that joined us got a beautiful uh, Drake shoveler. But a great, great time, and thanks to Colin for that, and uh, his buddy Mike as well. Uh, very much appreciated. And it's funny because, you know, after that hunt, we were at a birthday party. And, you know, the kids did go outside and run around a little bit. But the most of the evening, they all sat there playing some kind of video game and, you know, all staring at a screen the whole time. And, it, you know, it occurred to me at that moment just how vital it is that we, you know, volunteer our time and our talents to getting kids in the outdoor. Because they, they just don't have the exposure that they once did. Um, they still have the interest. They still have the desire and the drive but they don't have the exposure that they did, you know, when some of us were children. So thanks again uh, to Colin and Mike for that. Uh, it's, it's a big deal and it matters. And I encourage the rest of you to, uh, to volunteer your time to some of these youth hunts. We talk about them a lot on here. There's a lot of opportunities to get out there and do it. So, so please, please do that. It's important. All right, let's see. Uh, next up. Oh, uh, this was uh, uh, just, just a huge deal for me. We had our camo at the Capitol event just a couple days ago down on the Capitol lawn. <clears throat> Technically, it was on uh, the Bowling, Bowling Memorial Plaza, but holy heck, talk about a turnout. We had over 20 conservation organizations from around the state of Arizona, along with uh, a few outdoor-oriented sporting businesses uh, join us, and uh, everybody set up displays, tables, booths, um, over 14 different wild game dishes. Uh, it was it was nothing short of amazing. Um, you know, we have some of the most passionate and hardworking conservation organizations in the state, and that was on full display down there at the Capitol. Um, you know, I, I made, uh, I think I keep touting my bobcat tamales, but I was really proud of them. They turned out great. It's a lot of work to make tamales. That was my first time. And, you know, of all the folks, the passerbys, the legislators, the Capitol staff, all of those folks, not one person turned their nose up at those tamales, and they all enjoyed them. So, you know, it's just a good reminder that how we present ourselves and what we do to the general public really matters as hunters. So always keep that in mind when you're out there. But it was a great event, and I want to thank all of the organizations and businesses that showed up uh, that represented the sporting community in Arizona and, you know, held up the value, our values, and that's wildlife habitat, public lands, access to those public lands, a North American model of wildlife conservation and the hunting and England heritage. This is all very important stuff uh, if we want to keep 
wildlife and wild places around into the foreseeable future. So we're going to be doing it again next year. We're already having talks about how to make it even bigger and even better. And uh, yeah, if you didn't, if you didn't get the invite this year, reach out to me at podcast.azwildlife.org and I will make sure I get you on next year. So, all right, with that, today's show, today's show is a special one. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I, I live in a bit of a bubble, um, a, a bubble full of hunters and anglers that all look a lot like me. And that is pale skin, bearded, and, you know, on down the line, there's a few others for sure. But I know for a fact that that is not what the sporting or outdoor recreation community looks like as a whole. So my guests today are from Echo. That's Hispanics enjoying hunting and the outdoors, I think. I think I'm not screwing that up. Uh, this is a wonderful uh, advocacy group, uh, you know, focused on the Hispanic community and their outdoor experience. And this show is all about building bridges between communities of people. Um, how how to how to reach across, you know, the, these these canyons, so to speak, um, to other demographics. And come together in, in our love, appreciation, and conservation of our wildlife and wild spaces. Uh, so I learned a lot on this show. I'm sure you will too. I hope you enjoy it. Um, stick around and yeah, listen to, to Max and Daniela give their perspectives on the Hispanic community and their outdoor experience and how we can come together for the betterment of everything that we love. So enjoy this episode and I'll see you after. Thanks. All right, here we are. Okay, uh, I am sitting here with uh, Daniela, and Danielle, I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself and say your last name here in a moment so I don't mess it up. And same with you, Max. But with these introductions, I want to I want to go a little farther. Um, not only do I want to hear who you are and what you do, um, but also I want to hear kind of how, how you got to this place that you are now. Um, you know, whether it be as a child or as an adult, how you got interested in the outdoors, how you got interested in conservation. So if you don't mind telling those stories along with an introduction, I would appreciate it. And Danielle, we'll start with you. Oh, wow. That's going to be a long story. So we got a lot of time. <laughs> but, yeah. My name is uh, Daniela Zavala. I'm the communications director for ECHO Hispanics Enjoying Camping, Hunting, and the Outdoors. Uh, I live now in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, but I actually grew up in Venezuela, in a small town. And since I was very little, I was very um, passionate about the outdoors. My my father, um, you wouldn't say he was a hunter or like a hiker, but he loves being in nature. And I think I got that from him. And as I, uh, you know, I, I, grew, I grew and became older, I discovered the outdoors in a, in a deeper way and on my own. And, and I think that was uh, very beautiful. Unfortunately, in my country, um, we don't have spaces that are like public lands are, you know, as we have mm -hmm. it here that are safe, like going camping in certain areas in my country is, is impossible. Basically you can be robbed and we don't have any longer, sadly, uh, that safe space. So we, I grew up with the outdoors in my backyard and slowly as I moved to the city, that access to it was taken away from me, basically. And I ended up in this country in 2022. Um, I was a journalist back home. I moved to this country uh, for safety as well. And here is what I truly discover 
you know, uh, that beauty of being yeah. able to camp in safety, in safety, to go hiking by my own or with friends and being able to do it in a, in a safe way. And I love to travel around the world. And, uh, and that even brought me closer to nature. I have been um, uh, in the Himalayas and Karakoram and all these experiences, you know, just feed, uh, fed that passion for, for the outdoors that to this day I keep on, uh, on having and also um, give it to my child. Uh, since he is two months old, when he was two months old, I took, it, took him to Zion and my mom was like, oh, are you crazy? And he was like doing his first hike on, you know, with me Wonderful. carrying him. But uh, it, it just has become part of uh, uh, who I am and my passion and my scape. Um, and uh, I became uh, involved with conservation uh, as an opportunity. Um, as I say, I was passionate about the outdoors, protecting the outdoors. But just four months ago, I joined ECHO and it was a perfect combination to uh, use my skills in communications and, uh, and, and skills as a former journalist uh, and put it into works for something that I truly care about, which is protecting our public lands and giving access uh, to everybody to these beautiful spaces. So that's in a nutshell. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Max, I'd kind of like to go through the same thing with you if we can. Um, and hey, before you go, I should probably mention uh, you and I share a mutual friend, um, and that's uh, Jesse DeBell of the uh, New Mexico Wildlife Federation. I'm a big fan of Jesse. Yeah, Jesse and I spend uh, some time together. We were at an all-day meeting on Friday uh, talking about conservation issues uh, in New Mexico. But yeah, great guy. Good. Great guy. Real passionate. And, and uh, he's always good to have on a team. And uh, he, he just does so much for public hunters and anglers in New Mexico. And I, and I think many times his work goes unnoticed or unappreciated, but, but man, that guy's in the trenches constantly uh, advocating sure for public yeah. hunters and anglers. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm Max Trujillo. I am a senior field coordinator for ECHO, uh, Hispanics enjoying camping, hunting in the outdoors. Um, I grew up uh in the outdoors, uh, since a very young age, I've been hunting and fishing and uh, doing hiking, doing all the, the great things in um, northern New Mexico, southern Colorado. Um, I'm one of the 11 children. Um, and so, you know, being in a family that big, uh, hunting and fishing was actually a really big part of our um sustain our sustenance you know uh -huh. it, it uh we we hunted for meat and we fished uh you know we did all of these things we've we've grown um crops and and things like that our families have um so we've you know we've just integrated that whole outdoor experience into our everyday life and and it has become something that i have um become so passionate about and and protection of access to the outdoors. Um, you know, when, when I was young, my, my dad and, and my brother uh, were having this uh, debate or this battle with a, with a private landowner uh, for access into some state trust land where we've hunted uh, for, for many years. And, um, you know, these, these landowners wanted to shut the roads down and, 
And so it became a very uh, heated battle between the community and this landowner to the point where there were uh, manipulations of, of rule and, and law where the state land office was going to uh, swap land to this landowner. And, uh, and, and we, we fought it. Um, the public got together and this thing went all the way up to the New Mexico Supreme Court until we finally um, prevailed in this situation. And, and the state said it was an illegal land swap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so huge victory. And, and through, that, through that kind of battle, if you will, um, I, I got involved with the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Um, I was a field coordinator uh, with them for a good while uh, and started working on public lands protections, national monuments, wilderness areas, uh, other uh, land protection, and working real closely with agency uh, personnel and everything and, and have been, I, I've been part of some really successful campaigns, uh, the Rio Grande del Norte National Monument, the Oregon Mountains Desert Peaks National Monument, the um, uh, Chimney Rock National Monument in Southern Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, Columbine Hondo Wilderness, the Sabinoso Wilderness. So it's, you know, literally that I believe that that has become part of my legacy in, in, in public lands protection. It's um, over a million acres now. And uh, it, 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 uh, it's the stuff that I'm passionate about. I, I think that every human being should have that opportunity to, to be out in the wild places and, and to experience the things that I've experienced over the years is, is just, uh, um, it's really important to me, but it, you know, it should be important to generations uh, younger than, sure. than I, um, and, you know, so it's important for us to keep that, keep that ball rolling. And that's kind of how I got into conservation. Um, uh, and then I, uh, I, I, I got out of it for a while and then, and then Camilla, uh, Simon, our mm-hmm. executive director of ECHO, um, you know, I, I learned that there was a position opening up in New Mexico for a senior field coordinator and, Camilla and I have always really gotten along and, and have uh, similar views and um, uh, aspirations about Hispanics in conservation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I jumped in again and, and have been with ECHO for a little over a year, probably a year and a half. But yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, where ECHO sits in the conservation realm is a is a great space, and there's a huge opportunities to continue to bring uh, Hispanic voices and elevate the Hispanic profile in conservation organizations, not not just uh, um, NGOs or, or mm-hmm. nonprofits, but all the way up to land management agencies and wildlife yep. management agencies. It's important um, that uh, our contribution be not just recognized but utilized and and you know, uh, um, like capitalized on in in a bigger way than it is today. Right. I, I'm really glad you bring that up because that's exactly why I wanted you here today. So that works out. So you grew up in New Mexico then? I did. In I'm from Las Vegas, New Mexico, mm-hmm. in San Miguel County, where I'm actually a county commissioner as well oh, great. Uh, right now. So 
but yeah, I, I, you know, the, the Sangre de Cristo mountains are right in my backyard. That's um, wonderful. Been, um, just, uh, I know very much of this, uh, Southern, uh, piece of the Rockies, uh, been you know on federal land wilderness land state land uh all our state parks and everything here and in southern colorado and have gotten to know so many great people and uh so many great places yeah i um i was fortunate enough to get to hike through your beautiful state on the continental divide trail back in 2008 um but i will always always have a place in my heart for new mexico um some of the darkest skies I've ever experienced were, were on that hike. Um, you know, in southwest New Mexico, just like southeast Arizona, I think is just one of the most magnificent places in our country. So, yeah, it's a beautiful place to be from. Yeah, and, and, and being, you know, neighbors, uh, you know, mm-hmm. neighboring states. My uh, my brother lives in Flagstaff, huh. and and I get to get out there and, and hunt with him. And, we need and to get together a, when you're out sometime. I'm in parks, just 15 yeah, miles west. Yeah, of for sure, man. I'd, I'd love to. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I've learned some really nice places in Arizona as well. Yeah. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to run around with my with my brother and his buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, and that's the way it starts, right? That's right. the way you know you get together with uh, familiar people and people of same interests, and and you get to know some of these. Uh, spectacular places, you oh, know, yeah. in our in our neighboring states. So, yeah, I've hunted the North Kaibab. I've you know hunted in Unit Nine mm-hmm. and Unit One and oh, uh, some some <laughs> amazing places. Yeah. Well, Daniela, I can't say I've been to Venezuela, but as a little kid growing up infatuated with wildlife, especially snakes, um, the anaconda uh, situation down there just got it. Oh got my God, you are gonna laugh so. In the time in the town that I so you're fascinated by snakes. I am sure. traumatized by it. Oh no! Because <laughs> specifically in the um, <clears throat> suburb in the town that I grew up. I mean, like when you go out to, you know, jump in the trees with your friends. I mean, your parents will say, "Be careful with the snakes." I mean, mm-hmm. it was a reality when we called security from the suburb. It was probably the snake was in your living room or something. Yeah. So. I mean, we were not in the jungle. We were still a town, but some reason, I mean, wildlife came to us. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah, you don't have to go to the Amazon um, to to see snakes uh, over there, cascabeles. Oh my gosh, yeah, it was. Uh, and there's so many tales. I mean, growing up, I, I honestly don't know if it was true. Th- those were, you know, those were like real or not. But I mean, I grew up hearing the stories that somebody even find like a snake in the toilet. So every time like when I was growing up and I bet you, I was like checking, you know, the toilet just to make sure, you know, I can, you know, it was, it was just, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, so I was actually very scared of snakes, uh, oh, wow. uh growing up ironically. Well, I, I think they're fantastic. You, sh- you should revisit that. Um, yeah. we have other in Caracas. So, um, and that's something that I, I, it's, it, it's, it's just a memory, but we have uh, uh, the Avila Mountain uh, as a backdrop, and it's just stunning. And there is plenty yeah. of wildlife there. And even <clears throat> if you are in the building, you will see the guacamayas, these very colorful, you know, kind of parrots, like, uh-huh. you know, coming into your window. And they're huge. And, you know, people think, oh, they're only in the Amazon in the wild. Right. And they're actually somehow uh, in our, like, even city environment. Yeah, yeah. In, in, uh, in Caracas, it's funny by the tropics. way that you mentioned um, New Mexico. You, you I have been living in Arizona in for 
uh, nine years now. And just recently, just past uh, December, I had the opportunity to go to New Mexico and I felt the same way how you feel about New, Me uh, New Mexico, uh, Michael. Right. I was so blown away by the beauty. When I was crossing New Mexico um, from the south to Arizona, um, I think it's called Chiricahua. Chiricahuas. Yeah, um, I, I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe I haven't been in this area. So oh, I yeah. confess that usually I go up north, so like the the border right. with Utah, Arizona, I am very familiar with. Every mm -hmm. time I can, I can go and camp, I just go there, love the white pocket. So I was like, oh my God, I need to start exploring more the southeast of Arizona and New Mexico because there is so much beauty, you oh, know, boy. down there. So I can relate to what you just said uh, about New Mexico. I need to come back. Yeah. Yeah. The Chiricahuas, we have the uh, uh, Chiricahua fox squirrel, a.k.a. Mexican fox squirrel. Um, it's, a, it's a species that only occurs in the United States in that range. Um, wow. It does extend down into uh, Mexico. Um, it has a much broader range down there, but it, it's it's a species we can hunt. Um, it's low, low how do you say functity um low reproductive species it only, i think it only maybe once a year it only has one to two pups per litter um they're slow growing they're just they're very different than all of our other squirrels so you know you should practice restraint when you are hunting them but uh, my little boy and i took a trip down there and harvested one one squirrel and that was our plan just to get one and we wanted to make the the most we could out of that one squirrel so we ended up making chili rolanos with it so we had mexican fox squirrel chili rolanos and they're delicious Wow. Yeah, the other beautiful experience I just had recently over there, and as I say, like having my child with me, it was just amazing. Sometimes you go to, you know, uh, places where you expect to see wildlife, like, mm -hmm. you know, people go to the Grand Canyon and you think that you're going to see, you know, wildlife. And sometimes you are lucky and you see it, you know, because you're used to like uh, seeing people, but sometimes you're, 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 you don't. And um, when driving from New Mexico uh, into Arizona, we just find... In the middle like of a dirt road um I, I was telling my husband oh my god i hope we don't get stranded here because <laughs> this won't be a good scenario with a child but oh my god we sold these you know deer you know there and i mean you guys know better wildlife so I'm, i think it was a deer but i was just amazed of like being able to see the wildlife and show it to my child and then it was just beautiful. And those are, you know, going to these places that are not so visited. There, was, there wasn't as many visitors in the National yep. Monument. It gives you the opportunity to, as well, to have a, a more intimate, you know, experience mm -hmm. with nature. Sure. Um, more opportunities for wildlife because, you know, um, the, the, I don't know. It's like they're, uh, it's more of a remote area. Um, but, yeah, I had a wonderful experience out there. I, I cannot wait to go back. Mm-hmm. I will look for the fox now. Oh, you should. Yeah, fox squirrel. Um, I think you you probably have to get out of the monument, though, um, and just kind of get down in the range. Maybe go, oh, I think there's Peralta Canyon over on the east side um, that is a beautiful place to visit, and you can see them through there. But um, Yeah, I, I love that range. I've spent a lot of time tromping around on it and, uh, yeah, enjoying it. But all right, guys. Well, here's the deal. I – uh. I guess, you know, in my view of the world and the conservation space, it really pesters me that there are divisions. So whether that be consumptive versus non-consumptive, so backpackers and hikers versus hunters and anglers, um, are if, if that division is based on ethnicity. Um, 
it drives me crazy. Um, it shouldn't. I think conservation is is a nonpartisan thing. Uh, it crosses all boundaries. Uh, our public lands belong to everyone. Our wildlife is a resource for everyone. I think everybody should be right up in the space, just giving it all they got. Right. That's not necessarily the case, unfortunately. So you know, it's it's easy for me to to work to bridge the gap between, say, consumptive and non-consumptive, or green or brown, or however you want to make those divisions, because I've lived in both of those. You know, I, I know how folks think. You know, on both sides. But um, I'm not Hispanic. I'm I'm not African American. I don't know how folks think when when those divisions. So I don't know how to do this. And when I look around, well, I'll put it two ways. When I'm outside in Arizona and I look around, I see as many Hispanics enjoying our, our outdoors as I do white folks. Um, but I don't see that in the conservation space. So I, I would like to, and admittedly, it, it, New Mexico has done a much better job than Arizona on this. We're behind. So I want to learn from you and, and hopefully have our listeners learn from you what we can do to work to bridge that gap. Um you know, your experiences, how they might differ from mine, um, you know, how, how you feel. I mean, you guys obviously both work in the conservation space, but I'm absolutely certain you have a much better grasp on this than I do. So, so really, I'd like to learn from you. It's like, what, what's the difference here? Um, why, why do we not see this, you know, here in Arizona and largely uh, throughout conservation? And what, what can we do to, to fix this? And that's broad. I realize, yeah. but <clears throat> jump right in anywhere I, you want. I, Sure. Um, and I can take that. I, I um, you know, I've long uh, wondered the same things that you were uh, alluding to, Michael. Um, and I guess historically, conservation itself, uh, you know, uh, and, and how, what it's transformed into is, is um, has not been very inclusive of mm-hmm. people of color of Hispanic people, black people, uh, indigenous people for that matter. Um, although um, the Hispanic cultures that have been here uh, in the United States for 500 years mm-hmm. and the indigenous cultures that have been here since time immemorial yeah. um, have practiced conservation um, and have um, learned the rhythms of of the world and learned how to use um, the resources that were given, and 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 we've learned how not to take more than we need, mm-hmm. um, how to share, um, and and these are evident through um, simple things like acequia systems, um, you know, these irrigation systems that that have been here since um, you know forever. Um, and it serves uh, multi-purposes, you know, um, that, so the kind of quote unquote new science in water is spreading water in, in riparian areas and, and, and making sure that, that those areas um, that where channels have been deepened because of flood events um, need that water needs to be spread out into, you know, riparian areas and, and valleys and things like that to make a more sustainable flow. Well, we were doing this for 500 years. We've been doing it through our acequia systems and making sure that that water gets gets um, spread out mm-hmm. and creates a more sustainable flow for downstream users. Um, just little things like that. So 
But um, so we've been practicing com conservation for centuries. We just didn't call it conservation. Um, and and no no um, offense intended, but um, the white man's version of conservation was literally to save us from ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were all but done with the American bison. Yeah, we were just killing them. It's like it, like exterminating the whole existence of that amazing animal until conservation measures were put in place to say, hey, you know, we can't kill every last one of these guys. You know, we, we, we need to save some of these and we need, this is a, a, it's not just an iconic species, but it's, it's, um, it's necessary. Um, same with grizzly bears in Arizona and New Mexico. There's, there's no more grizzly yeah. bears here. Uh, and, and there used to be. Um, so, so things, things got real crazy, I think, with conservation and, and then the establishment of, of national parks, national monuments, things like that. Um, they were created to provide a place of respite for wealthy white people. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, I, I mean no malice in, in my of use of, the, of that term. I, I've got relatives and we're, you know, enmeshed with each other. Uh, nothing, nothing wrong there. Uh, but um, it wasn't intended for for people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and then the land management agencies came along, you know, the Forest Service and BLM and all of these. Um, again, not many uh, people of color in, in these positions um, other than, you know, very low positions on, on, you know, in the hierarchy of, of these agencies. So, um, and then came the NGOs, the nonprofit organizations, the, the green groups. And, and again, there, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily such a friendly environment for people of color, uh, but it's changing. Yes. It, you know, it's changing and, 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 and I'm glad that it's changing and groups like Echo and Nuestra Tierra and Hispanic Access Foundation, all these, all these great groups, you know, they're, I think what it's doing, it's elevating the Hispanic profile in conservation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've been asked, I've been asked by, by the highest level of, of organizations, you know, what can we do to diversify? And my answer is pretty simple, you know, hire hire people of color into these higher places of employment. Don't, you know, don't just give them, you know, uh, maintenance and, and, you know, jobs at, at, at a lower pay grade or whatever. Um, there's not a lack of talent in the Hispanic community or the indigenous mm -hmm. community or the black community. We're, we're scientists, we're doctors and, and, and lawyers and, uh, engineers and and you know there's not a lack of talent take a chance and, and you know you may be you may be um, pleasantly surprised at the output and the participation and the contribution from from people of color in an organization mm -hmm. um you know we bring um 
we bring something that's invaluable, in my opinion, uh, to conservation. We bring ancestral knowledge. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it's all good and fine that many, many of our conservation organizations have scientists and, and you know, all these uh, uh, great minds, brilliant minds that are uh, well-educated in, in, in the sciences. And, and it's great, but we've been practicing what they're trying to implement for centuries. Yeah. And, and, and there's a disconnect there where, you know, people come with their science and they, and they try to implement it, but it's like they don't communicate with the people who have been on the land for centuries. And the outcome is the same. Yeah. You know, the outcome is is, is uh, very often the same outcome that they're trying to produce is being produced already. There's just that lack of communication, that lack of um, trust, if you will, uh, that, hey, maybe these people do know something about conservation. Mm-hmm. Maybe they do know how to treat the land and, and, and maybe they should be uh, included in what we call con- conservation mm-hmm. and land management and water management and all of these things. So, um, so I think there's a shift happening. You know, I, I, I do see that. I, I see it um, where, uh, where ECHO is a program of the National Wildlife Federation, mm-hmm. um, as you are an affiliate of, of the same organization. Um it's it's happening there. There are more people of color in higher places, and and I think and and I think that happening is just bringing um, awareness, but awareness that there's a great contribution here uh, by by including people of color, um, and 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 I hate to use that term loosely. Um, and, and there's always there's always these um, taglines, sound bites, if you will, being used by organizations, equity and justice, and mm-hmm. BIPOC and things like that. Um, and as a person of color, I don't even think it's necessary. I I, okay. I, I get that you know that in our world, inclusion and equity and justice is 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 of importance. But I think of more importance is um, inclusion. Uh, you know, organizations taking a chance on on a person of color and saying, you know, this person has much to contribute, and and those contributions can be uh, multi layered, and and um, it just makes um, makes for more sound decision making and and things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I just, uh, but the shift is happening. I, yeah. I, I've seen it. I'm, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. And if I, 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 may, uh, I can add to what Max is saying. Um, for, first thing, you know, uh, Echo's vision and mission is elevating Hispanic voices in conservation. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, a network, uh, the first of its kind of elected uh, um, officials, Hispanic elected officials and Hispanic leaders. And that's, I think an important um, um, step to bring more of these voices in conservation is because they represent the community. 
They mm -hmm. have so much knowledge. I mean, if you talk to, uh, we have over 60 members right now, over 60 uh, um, um, ACLC member, Hispanic Conservation Leadership Council. And when you listen to these leaders speak, they don't, they're not only passionate about uh, the environment and the outdoors, uh, these people have tremendous knowledge of different areas. So I think our, uh, what ECHO is doing is actually contributing. So more Hispanics, more of these voices are involved in conservation and conservation mm -hmm. policy decision-making. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about the switch that we are seeing. And, um, and I'm gonna give you an example. Like, you know, like I came here 20 years ago and I remember when I was, you know, camping by myself and I discovered that I could do it safely here. Mm -hmm. I didn't see a lot of people like me in the national parks or in the national monuments or even when I went hiking in, 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 in any place. I didn't see, I was kind of like unusual. This is 20 years ago. And slowly I'm seeing that switch. I see more people like me, more people of colors in all these spaces, but still it's a process um, yeah. um, because there is a, so we, when you talk about Hispanics or Latinos, you have a big mix of people. You have people like me that are immigrants and you know um you have people like max that they have been here for generations you have people that are like young so they're like they consider themselves latinx so and i consider myself a hispanic so if you look at within our community well, could, could i pause you right there of experiences and the way how we um see the world around us even okay. if we are all kind of a community, um, we see things differently. For, and I'm gonna give you an example of different things that might change the way how we experience the outdoors. I don't have any fear to go and camp solo in Northern Arizona, you know, in a BLM campsite. My mother, an immigrant, you know, like has this conception of danger in the outdoors because of, you know, what she is bringing from home She's always concerned that I'm, uh, um, you know, that when I do that. But if you look at the very, like somebody that is in their, you know, his or her early 20s, you know, going camping, they probably didn't experience the outdoor as I did it progressively, you know, like, oh yeah, I couldn't do it back home, but I can do it here. They have like this, they already feel that they can do it. So you have all this mix. Then you have some, you know, some, uh, and, you know, again, this, this is a reality. Some of our community are afraid to, you know, even go to the national parks because, you know, even the uniforms of, of, of you know, our rangers might bring memories of like, of, like for them, you know, mm -hmm. or you have people that think that going to a national park, it's very expensive and it's not. Mm -hmm. So there's so many elements, you know, that might uh, prevent uh, um, Hispanics for like really taking advantage of the beauty and the access of the public lands. But having said that, I really believe that it's changing because I, I have seen that change in the, in the last 20 years. And my hope is that with like the work that we're doing and the work that you do and other organizations are doing to give access to, you know, equal access to everybody and, and, and bring awareness to that, that these lands is for them to enjoy, that we mm -hmm. keep on seeing uh, more people in the outdoors because that's and then it takes me to the next then the next point for people to care about the environment for people to get involved in conservation 
they need to be passionate about it. And the way how you get passionate right. about nature is when you have that deep connection to it, when you are exposed to it. You won't care about something that you haven't experienced it, but once you experience it and you fall in love with it, you will do whatever it takes to protect it. So I also think that with this switch that we are seeing, um, and as, as I say, it has been progressive and I hope it keeps on moving forward, you will see more Latinos, more Hispanics getting involved in conservation um, because they're more out there. Yeah. Um, I, I am a strong believer that, you know, we parents have a huge responsibility to uh, raise the future conservationists and environmentalists uh, uh, um, because, you know, if we start exposing our kids since very little to the outdoors, by default, they will care about the environment and they will do what it takes to, to protect it. So I think also that there is a component of, uh, of, uh, of us as a society and as parents to, to, to contribute to conservation by like putting that seed in our kids. So uh, I touch a lot of points here, but you know. No, that, that's all very, very valuable. So, you know, coming from the perspective I thought of as, as you were speaking, Daniela, was there's kind of two sides of this. There, there's one side is, you know, outside of those folks that are already out there and they're already passionate about it. It's how do we introduce the outdoors to those that haven't uh, experienced them or been, you know, uh, involved enough to develop that that love and, and passion that we all have. But then also, how do you take those folks that are that are already there? And I know they're there because I see them out there when I'm hunting. Um, how do we take them and move them into the conservation space? And if I could give you maybe a, a scenario, I'd say it's made up, but it's not. It's real. Um, I serve uh, as the vice chair for Arizona Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And our board looks just like me, a bunch of white guys with beards. Um, you know, and we do have pint nights. We have all these things that the public are, are open to. Um, but, you know, if we want to add some diversity to our board and get some new voices in there, how do we reach out? You know, I mean, for, for a bunch of kind of dumb white guys, you know, what, what language do we use? Where, where, where do we, where do we reach out to? You know, how do you do that? I, I, I really am just flailing here. I don't know. <laughs> and I'd love to see that. Um, I, so go ahead, please. And, and that's a, that's a great question, Michael. And, and I think you're in the outdoors, you, you hunt, you fish, you do all of these things and you run into people like me mm -hmm. out there all the time. Um, stop and talk, talk to them and invite them, you know, and, and, and that's, that's where it starts. That's how, that's how it starts. Um, uh, my, my good friend, Joel Gay, who is also with backcountry hunters and anglers, anglers tremendous writer, great friend. We've spent many days and nights out, in, in the field. Um, uh, and then that's how it starts. You know, you, you, uh, you establish these relationships with, with dudes just like you, mm -hmm. you know, but a slightly different color. Um, and, and, and it, and it begins, you know, that's, uh, I think that's where, uh, I, I don't think that it needs to be an official, like, um, initiative from um from an organization mm -hmm. um and i've and i've seen it many times i've seen it 
with many organizations, you know, how how do we diversify? How how do we reach out to some of these people of color and, and things like that? And and one of the things that Daniela said is that we are are uh, multi uh, cultural, even in the Hispanic um, uh, realm, we have there's just dialects. There's dialects. Daniela and I can communicate sometimes, and sometimes she says things that I I'm like, wow, you know. But it's our dialect. It, I think it's just the way we communicate. Um, and I think knowing that not every uh, that that we're not in a monolith, if you will, um, and and it's it's as diverse as 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 the country you know it's diverse as our yeah. as as the united states of america we have many uh uh many cultures many uh ways traditions everything about uh you know about us and it's something to engage something to dive into and, and enjoy um one thing about hispanic uh culture is that we're very inviting people mm-hmm. um you know you you come to my house you're going to sit down we're going to have a we're going to have a beer or a whiskey and we're going to have a meal together we're going to you know we're going to enjoy each other's company you you drive up to my camp when i'm hunting same thing man we're good we're gonna sit down by the campfire and we're going to enjoy each other's company and and talk and joke and all of these things it's um so I, I think it begins there, Michael, like just you okay. know, just that reaching out and wanting to know a little bit more about that, yeah. you know, find find a kindred spirit there and, 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 and it begins, you know, here we go. Right. I think I'm adding to Max. I mean, there are so many opportunities to engage uh, Hispanics. I mean, just the fact that I, I remember um, when I was a reporter, I had a uh, a segment called Exploring Arizona. So basically what I did was going around, they actually come, when I was on the in, on the streets, I, I remember like people would say, oh, you're the mountain girl, you know, like, so <laughs> they, they, it was funny because they, you know, it's people, rem- I did so many news stories, Michael, and people remember me mm-hmm. because of that segment, you know, and they were very curious of places to take their kids to go with their family. So I think like if, you know, different organizations provide those spaces for them to experience the outdoors without high cost, because some of our community, they live paycheck to paycheck. So if you tell them, hey, we have a, um, an opportunity for you to join Eggs program, but it's, it's $500. I mean, they won't be yeah. able to afford it. So yeah. if you can start giving those opportunities for these families, these Hispanic communities to experience the outdoors, and then they will see, oh, well, maybe... A permit to go fishing is not that expensive or maybe to go hunting is not that expensive so, because mm-hmm. you know even like for me like learning as i was doing the segment um this 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 uh, feature new segment i realized oh it's not that expensive to go fishing as i thought and you know but so there is a lot of things there is a lot of opportunities to get more latinos involved through that uh, the other thing just as max said we are very very open-hearted people so mm-hmm. if you reach out to somebody, you know, like in the field, like, you know, and you just approach them, you know, and, and create that connection. Uh, we, we like to create that connection. Also go where we are. I mean, I, um, I'm telling you, there are like groups here in Arizona 
of avid Hispanic hikers yeah. that, that they even get together and they do trips to the Grand Canyon to do rim to rim, you know, try to get, you know, to get into those groups and, you know, get them involved. Like, hey, okay. you know, like we would love to organize a rim to rim that is not only Hispanics, but like let's have all of us to go together. And that's a way to create that connection. And that's a way how, again, then you can introduce them to all these um, yeah. conservation opportunities uh, that they will get involved. And I'm pretty sure like that once they know that those opportunities are there and their point of view, their perspective are of interest of, of you or other organizations that do conservation, they're most likely are going to get involved because they care. They just, for a very long time, our voices hasn't been heard. Yeah. You know, yeah. like just going back to the inclusion side. So um, there are a ton of opportunities. And and I do believe that because there is a switch, there is, this is changing. Uh, it's going to come out, to, it's, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. How fast it's going to happen, it depends on everybody. You know, contribution, like what we're doing in Asia to elevate the voices of Hispanic leaders in conservation, what you are doing as well. You know, uh, different, you know, everybody has a role to play in, in here. So I'm optimistic about the future and 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 we will see more Hispanic in conservation. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, it's important, I think, to reiterate that this change is happening. Um, and, you Absolutely. know, in the, in the highest levels of our government. Um, and filtering all the way down, you know, to our organizations. And, uh, but it, it is a slow pace, uh, frustratingly so. Um, and yeah, it's like, I, I want to throw, throw my, my, myself in there and, and, and make change myself as well. Um, and also, you know, I, I'm always looking for cool people to hang out with, you know, in the field, you can never have, have enough friends that are into cool stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, it is, there's, <sighs> for lack of a better way to put it, you know, from a dumb white guy perspective, um, that wants to, and I'm talking about myself and, and others like me that are listening, there's, there's nuances, um, that make this whole conversation difficult because, you know, a lot of us don't even know how to have it. Um, you know, for a, a really plain example is the difference between Hispanic and Latino and where to use those terms, you know, um, any like cultural roadblocks that might get in the way are also bringing somebody in. Like I used uh, backcountry hunters and angler sport of directors uh, as an example, um, bringing somebody, you don't want somebody to feel like a token either. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that voice is really wanted. Um, you know, it, it's, it's something that it's not just for kicks to say, look at us, we're diverse. I mean, it, it's valued and it's wanted, but you don't want somebody to feel like a token either. So there's, there's lots of stuff here coming from, the white fell aside to this, this conversation that, that acts as roadblocks. Um, and it's, I mean, maybe it's just all on us, but those difficulties are still there. And I mentioned this because I, I think that people listening do feel that stuff and they don't know how to approach, but, uh, you know, a lot of what you, you've talked about does help, but. Yeah. And, and it, I, this just happened. I'm not joking. Like two weeks ago, um, um, with a, a younger, um, uh, friend and, um, you know, I remember when I moved to this country back in 2022, and they were asking me, it's okay if to refer to a Hispanic. And I was like, I didn't even feel offended. I'm like, that's what I am. I mean, I'm Hispanic, I'm Latina, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. But, you know, having this conversation two weeks ago, and that's what I'm telling you about how diverse our community is and how, like, the generation 
uh, aspect comes into mm-hmm. into place is like she said i don't feel myself a hispanic i am a latin x and for me latin x is a new term yeah you know so i'm okay if i'm called latin x hispanics you know latina it's so it's a, it's an interesting thing even for me being a hispanic to understand that within my community there are people that doesn't feel comfortable that don't feel comfortable uh, when they are referred as Hispanic or, 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 Latin, or Latina. So <laughs> this for isn't me, helping me, Danielle. <laughs> for my generation, it's like, you know, it's it's interesting. So I'm also yeah. learning. So it's not only you. Uh, it's for, for us in Mexican, you know, talk for himself. But for me as an immigrant, as a, as a, as a Latina, as a Hispanic, as a, as a person that actually... Uh, and I had a conversation earlier with Max... T- this morning i mean where i come from we're so mixed we're mestizos Mm -hmm. so there is even culturally some differences of the experience that i have growing up in a very in a in in a in a in a society where we're very mestizos and everybody feels equal Mm -hmm. in a way because we we're so used to it and for these younger generations that grew up here they have a different experience so um I failed you. <laughs> Basically, I don't know if Max <laughs> no, can share no. what he feels. You know, uh, when, I, I understand I talk... your concerns of like, sure. more, you know, that first, how you refer to it. I think I would say, you know, I don't mind being called Hispanic or Latina or mm-hmm. Latinx. I just want to be appreciated and respected for who I am, for what I bring to the table, for... Uh, my contributions, regardless if I am a woman or a man, if I am a Latina or not, I just want to mm-hmm. see as as a uh, as, as as a human that cares. Yeah, that, I know but, that sounds very like, you know, no, kind of, it, like romantic or something, but you know, it's it's true. <laughs> That's how I feel. People will look at me. Sure, you know, th- this whole this whole ship, so to speak, that we're talking about does does turn very slowly. But something that is not moving slowly is is sensitivities uh, in, in our society and culture that that is moving rapidly, um, you know, and, and alludes to what we're talking about here. You know, and, uh, six months from this conversation, you know, some of these ideas might change. But how, how are how are you coping with all this, Max? I, I, I... Yeah, and it's you know very much like Daniela was saying. I, I think there may be a generational uh, disconnect. Because I too, I, I'm comfortable with you calling me Hispano, Chicano, Latino, whatever you want to call. <laughs> I am all of that, you know. I, I'm and I'm okay with it. Um, however, some of the younger generation, they don't like the, the term Hispanic because it connotates colonialism and uh-huh. things like that. Because we are also, you know, the the Spanish. Uh, people that were here since the 1400s um, were also colonists, yeah. right? And and some of the things we did um, to establish ourselves in this new country um, were not were not cool, right? I mean, you know, everything everything that the white people were doing on the eastern seaboard, the Spanish people were doing in the west. And, and all the way from South America, all the way to Alaska, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so uh, so there's this thing where um, uh, 
the sensitivity thing where we need to be sensitive about how we um, think of ourselves or how we identify uh, ourselves. And, and I will tell you, you know, um, in my family, I have everything. And there's, I mean, there's, my sister is married to a guy named Shambarger. Um, you know, it, it just goes on and on and on. I have uh, Polynesians in my family. I have everything. So I think from a perspective of reaching out to um, the Hispanic population, um, regardless of the, their cultural, um, um, I guess, uh, subtleties, if you want to put it that way, um, just like just reach out. I mean, it's not, it doesn't, um, I think the sensitivity is coming from a much younger generation and they have, they have these, um, ideals and, and I'm okay with it. You know, they, um, it's that, I guess that woke, um, kind of, uh, situation that's going on. I, I'm okay with it. I, I don't have to be identified as, as anything. You know, yeah. if if you want to call me a Chicano or a Latino or a Hispano or whatever, okay, I'm I'm cool with it. You know, but but know that my history is much broader than than that one little label. Yeah, you know, I there's uh, everybody in northern New Mexico has about thirty percent uh, indigenous blood. Anybody who does one of these genealogy tests in northern New Mexico it will be revealed that you are 30% Native American. Um, and that's just how it is. You know, it's, it's just uh, the place where we're at. Do you, but I would, I would say, you know, I don't think, I don't think you need, or, or I don't think one needs to be so sensitive that you're afraid to Correct. approach or to address someone in any way. If they feel strongly enough about it, they'll correct you. You know, they'll say, you know, Michael, just refer to me as That's fair. Hispanic or whatever, or, and not Latino or whatever, or vice versa. It, it, if they feel strongly enough about it, but that shouldn't, that shouldn't, um, that shouldn't divide us. That shouldn't be a barrier uh, for communication, for employment, for you know, uh, inclusion or yeah. anything like that. It. it it, I think it, it just adds color to what people are doing. And, you know, we're in a country of many colors, man. And yep. it's, it's got, it's got to be that, you know, we, uh, I think we're past, I think we're past the, the territorialism and all of that stuff. It's the more color you add, the more beautiful the thing is going to be. Right. Right. I, and just that's the way I've always thought. And and I think instead of like you know when I'm uh, uh, when I'm called Hispanic or Latina or, or or anything in certain circumstances, I mean I don't mind as Max, but sometimes it's not even necessary. I think in the mm -hmm. in, in the what we're talking about the outdoors when we're talking about conservation, it doesn't matter as we talk initially, uh, your the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you come from if you were born here like Max, or if you were born abroad, but you now are an American like me, it doesn't matter um, uh, your political views. We share one passion, the outdoors. Mm -hmm. We share um, one concern, 
protected places that we love to spend time at. So if we can build that connection beyond that, beyond how we or you are um, labeled in a way, if we just can put those things aside and just connect to that deeper level, I think that's the best way to succeed. You know, as Max said, you know, we are very open people. If you come to me in the middle of the wilderness with open arm, hey, do you want to hunt together? Let's do it. And then that person will bring other people that might be Hispanics and Latinos or mm-hmm. however or Latinx, whatever they identify. And you don't have you don't have to use a term any any term. Yeah. And you can actually reach out to all generations, like generations like Max and and and, my, and, and mine, or gen- younger generations. If we just put aside those 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 labels and differences, and and just connect to that deeper level to get more people involved, because we do need all those views. And um, and and I think you don't have to to ask somebody, are you Hispanic? You're gonna you're gonna find out. <laughs> You are going to find out because we love to talk and we love to talk about <laughs> our culture, where we come from. I mean, I cannot hide it with this accent. <laughs> you know? And when they say, where you come from? It's like, I am an American with an accent. Yeah. And I tell my story and I'm so proud of where I come from, you know, and and I, I want my son to be proud of where he comes from, even if he was born here. So I think um, you can approach somebody without, you know, having to have that conversation of who they are, they will tell you who they are. Yeah. How do they feel they are? They are Latino, they're Hispanic, they are Venezuelan. You know, sometimes how sometimes I'm being called, oh, you're from Mexico. I'm going to say, I have Mexico in my heart. I have a lot of Mexican friends. So I don't even feel offended by it. But, you know, again, this is me, you know, but also other person, you know, might feel offended by it. But so what I'm saying is just have an open heart, open conversation and, uh, I think that's that's uh, that's the key thing of bringing more more Latinos, Hispanics, Latinx into conservation. Yeah, you know, you mentioned your your child, and uh, we've talked about this this younger community. Um, do you? I mean, in your opinion, here in the United States, are these young people are they are they connected? Are they aware of this rich cultural history? I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to to travel to. Uh, the Peruvian Amazon, uh, Central America, several times, Mexico, several times, and I'm just absolutely in love with it. I mean, the the family values, the the food, there's just everything is so damn rich, you know. Just um, the neighborliness, uh, you know. My wife and I, we might escape <laughs> to somewhere south of the United States someday to retire, but are these are these kids aware of that? Of how wonderful that is? Well, at least from from I cannot speak for for all families or, you know, but I can speak for mine. And um, that, my son, he looks, is so funny because he doesn't look anything like me. He looks like his father. So he has this blonde hair, much fairer skin, and he speaks Spanish. So, you know, and um, he, you know, he's very aware that, you know, I come from a different place and I talk to him about, you know, Venezuela, but, you know, and I might be very unusual. I, in the sense that I want to, to expose my kids to every single culture, because for me, and that's another side of my life, since 97, I have traveled all around the world by myself. I have been in over 80 countries and I understand the beauty of differences and mm-hmm. 
the tolerance to differences. And that starts by have, taking the chance to be people that are different from you and learning from them and learning about the beauty of the different religions, the different languages, the different cultures, the different traditions. You know, and some of those traditions you can even incorporate it to your own life. Even, you know, I'm not a Buddhist, but I have been in Asia so much. It's one of my favorite continents. I, I didn't grow up in, in Asia. I grew up in South America. But with my, my travels, I have experienced, I have had so many great experiences and I have incorporated sort of those traditions into my life. So I think that um, from my point of view, my, my perspective with my kid is that the most exposure he has to other cultures, not only where I come from, but other culture, the richer his life is going to be, the more tolerant he's going to be, and the more caring human being he's going to be. Absolutely. Uh, but he knows where his mom comes from. He knows the, the, the family values, you know, and I tell him, hey, you know, I know you grew up here in America, but your mom is Latina. And, you know, it's so, you know, so certain things I, 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 I try, I try from my, from, from in my family to make sure that those traditions, those, those roots are preserved. Yep. And that's very yep. important to me. Um, and that might differ from other families, but I, right. I can share that from mine. And Max might have a different experience uh, as well, because he, yep. he, he's not an immigrant. He grew up here. So it's from generations, right, Max? Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, the traditional Northern New Mexican people, uh, you know, our story is we, we were um, brought here by Spain um, and we settled uh, around the Sangre de Cristo uh, mountains in Northern New Mexico. And we were sent to find things of value for, for Spain. Um, and in many cases, um, the only thing of value was the land itself that we were settling in. And, and, you know, it, it sustained people and um, people survived the things that came with being here. Flood and drought and, and uh, battles and, and all, you know, the natural forces that we were exposed to that were unlike uh, being in Spain. Um, so, you know, it, it became uh, our, our, our communities got very close and we became dependent on each other um especially because because the uh the throne the the you know the, the spain um kind of uh let us be here without any assistance from them um so we learned to survive it's the the the, the story of northern new mexico and the cultures in northern new mexico is amazing um, it's it's a miracle that we survived and and stayed, uh, but I think because of that, you know, our close knit culture and traditions and things like that um, have been we've been able to pass that down to our children and grandchildren and so on. Uh, our you know our love for for place and family and all of that thing it's uh um it's a little different you know like we uh we hate to see our children leave our house you know but but they do and they must and they and they go out and they thrive um and thank god you know we can see beyond that but but it's one of just one of those cultural things you know yeah. um and and 
Uh, so, so, uh, but like in the whole conservation thing, in the whole tradition of outdoors, it begins with planting something. It begins with uh, uh, using water um, correctly, uh, sharing uh, things like that. Those those cultural um, generational traditions um, are is where conservation begins. And then as as we you know get older and, and learn that uh, about bigger things and, and uh, I'll give you an example. My son Max the third is is a hydrologist. He's now working with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, but his you know his connection to the land began at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I you know we talked and we learned together about water and about wildlife and the importance of all of these things and and his passion took him in that direction um and and so and 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 that's the way it's got to start yeah you know for the hispanic culture we have to teach our kids uh just the simple things and that's how you know how it begins and and how we become a greater part and and a, a greater contributor to the overall uh conservation picture um but yeah you know he he hunts and fishes and all all of those things that we grew up doing. My 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 daughters, uh, I have grandchildren now oh. that you know that love to be outdoors. They you know I have a six year old grandson that's crazy about archery and and you know I love hanging out with him and flinging arrows and and doing all of those things and um, and then so so all of those traditions, Michael, you. Uh, it's easy to become part of that culture because we're so open and it's not, it's not secret. It's not, um, you know, um, uh, it, it's not a closed society. We invite everybody in and, and we're part of everything. And, um, and always, always remember that there's, there's dudes out there as passionate as you are mm-hmm. about the outdoors as, crazy about hunting and fishing and you know putting on your camel and going out there in the early morning late evening and just enjoying what you enjoy there's there's dudes just like you yeah and 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 you know we we all share that common that common thread that's awesome well you guys th- this has been hugely uh appreciated um enlightening and and uh just just a a very useful conversation for me. And I'm sure it is for a lot of other people. Um, but before, before I let you off the hook, I'd like to hear a little bit more about Echo. Um, just kind of the postcard speech, you know, uh, where you're from, the purpose, the kind of work you do. Yeah. Um, okay. So Echo was, was formed um, as, as a initiative to elevate Hispanic voices in conservation. Um the name ECHO and the acronym is Hispanics Enjoying Camping, Hunting, and the Outdoors. Uh, the direction and the trajectory that our organization has taken um, is, it's amazing. It, it, it's amazing to me and I, I'm right in the middle of it and I'm, and I'm watching this, this transformation of Hispanics in conservation. Um, ECHO started the Hispanic Conservation Leadership Council, HCLC, made up mostly, and Daniela has alluded to this in, in, in an earlier part of this conversation, 
Uh, it's, uh, it's made up mostly of Hispanic uh, elected officials, past elected officials, Asequia Parciantes and, and water board leaders and things like that. Um, and, and we've convened this um, kind of sub-organization, if you will, to move conservation policy. Um, we're 30 members strong in Arizona. We're 30 members strong in New Mexico. We're growing, um, you know, we're growing it out in, in Colorado, in Nevada, in Utah. And, um, and, and the whole concept behind this thing is, is when there's an, 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 an issue, um, an initiative or a campaign in, say, Arizona that, that we feel in New Mexico, they need our help. You know, we're we're there to collaborate with them and to move policy. Uh, we've we've had successful fly-ins into D.C. meeting with delegations from our respective states, and um, you know we're now starting to move the needle on 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 uh, legislation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, law and, and everything, and and it's um it's a powerful thing, and and it's um. You know, we're we're participating in something much larger than just the Hispanic culture. We're we're participating in lawmaking and in conservation issues, protection of public lands. Um, we're right in the center of it now. Um, Oak Flat in Arizona is, yeah. is a big is a big thing. You know that we're looking at. Um, our Arizona uh, uh, counterparts are advocating to stop. Um, copper mine that's going in in Oak Flats. Uh, we're we're uh, collaborating with the San Carlos Apache uh, Native American tribe uh, to try and protect that place from this devastation that's looming. Um, I think people now, even from the mining community, are are starting to speak out and saying, you know, this, this mine will probably be devastating to um, to Globe and to Superior and, and may not, you know, it may not be a good thing. So, so here we go, you know, here's Echo at the forefront of this thing and, and collaborating with the San Carlos Apache tribe and, and with our affiliates with the National Wildlife Federation is now involved in this thing. So um, that's who we are. That's, that's how, uh, that's how we're uh, functioning now. And, and we've got a, uh, you know, we've got employees in, or staff in in Colorado, in Arizona, uh, in D.C., in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, uh, so, you know, we're we're a pretty well-rounded organization. Um, I think we've elevated our profile certainly in D.C. Um, our our delegation and dele- and delegates from other states know who Echo is now. And and they call us. They 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 call on us when when they feel um, they need that voice. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I think um, that's what Echo has become. And and it's and it's you know slowly growing and slowly uh, uh, we're we're seeing that shift. And and then um, like public lands protection campaigns, um, they don't move without our voice, mm-hmm. without the Hispanic and the and the. Uh, tribal voices, uh, things don't move without us anymore. And, and so we're glad to be right in the mix of things and, and to bring that voice and, and, uh, 
you know, that contribution to some of the, some of the conservation uh, initiatives out there. Awesome. And uh, Mike, just to put you an example, example of Oakland, like how certain issues can bring people together for different reasons, but at the same time, we are kind of moving towards the, the same. So, you yeah. know, for Oakland, you know, we, you know, the San Carlos Apache tribe are, they're fighting for their religious right, for their sacred land. You know, I was just this weekend um, in Oakland and I had the opportunity to interview a minor, a Hispanic minor, minor that has lived in Superior for generations, you know, and mm -hmm. he is a, a former minor that doesn't appoint the, opposes the mine, but opposes that mine because it threatens the water supply for their, for his community, you know, so he supports also the tribe for for, for the protection of this land because it, it, it means something different to him, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, it means something as well. Yeah. And so you have, and you have like these diverse communities uh, involved. Uh, just this weekend, there were like indigenous uh, um, uh, students, but there were Hispanic students that were in all flat rock climbing. That was their space to enjoy the outdoors, to yeah. connect to nature. And I found out that they have hundreds, Michael, hundreds of video of videos of wildlife in Oakland that, you know, they're trying to protect as well. So you even when you have these open communications with all these different people, then you find out that the connection to the land, the connection to why we should protect Oakland goes beyond of one point or another. It's about uh, water conservation, survival for this community. If there is no water, I mean, we know what's going on in Arizona right. with the water crisis. If there is no water for these communities to thrive and survive, they will be displaced. So there is so many components. And, you know, when you hear these kids and that they are the ones that put the cameras trying to capture that wildlife, they want to see their wildlife, you know, mm -hmm. for future generations to come. So for them, protecting Oakland, protecting this land is so important. So there are so many different views to that might be one thing, but people have different reasons for it. So if we can unite all those voices for conservation, imagine that, that what we can do. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless, basically. Right. We just need to unite all those voices. Awesome. Well, genuinely, thank you both for doing this work. Um, it, it's hugely important. And uh, I, I appreciate it for one. Um, Daniela, we're running in the same circles now here in Arizona. So I'm sure I will be running into you before too long. Uh, Max, I'd, I'd sure as hell love to enjoy a whiskey around a campfire with you someday. Um, did we leave anything out? Let's make it happen. Uh, I'd like to. Uh, did we leave anything out? Anything important? Um, maybe how folks could get involved with that show if they're interested. Um, they can uh, visit our website, echoonline.org, or we are in social media, echoonline, in Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, and, and and Instagram. So I'm constantly sharing uh, what we're up to. And it has everything from like the campaigns we're working on very hard to actually tips and actually encourage everybody because next week there is gonna be a story about Max and hunting. Actually last, last month I did some, I shared some tips about hiking with kids. And mm -hmm. uh, we still, we have all those tips and, and, and in the experiences as well to share with uh, other uh, outdoors enthusiasts. So uh, check, check us out online. Absolutely. I'll make sure and get those links in the notes uh, to the show as well. And I guess with that, thank you both so much. I know your time is valuable um, and it is of limited supply these days. Uh, so I very much appreciate you being here and taking the time to do this.
Thank you. Thank you, Michael. All right, guys. Take care. Thank you, Daniela. All right. Well, Max and Daniela are absolutely special people, and we are lucky, and I, I mean it. We are lucky to have them uh, on our side working in the conservation space for the betterment of all the things that we value. Uh, so I guess to cap off that show, I would encourage all of you, whether you are light-skinned, dark-skinned, male, female, it doesn't matter, anywhere in between any of those, stay engaged in the conservation community. Reach out to others that don't look like you and engage with them. This is not only better, better for the humanity in general, this is better for our wildlife and our wild places because these things belong to all of us and we are all charged with taking care of those to make sure we still have them in the future. All right, um, don't forget, the show is made possible by the Arizona Wildlife Federation and you can support the Arizona Wildlife Federation and all the work we do. And let me tell you, we have been doing a lot of work. Um, I have been up and down the 17 to the Capitol, all this legislative session, uh, you know, sometimes a couple times a week. Uh, testifying against bad bills and trying to lift up good bills um, that, that, you know, affect our access to wildlife and wild places and our public lands. So if you'd like to support that work, you can. You can check it out by the link below going to our site, our website. You'll find out how you can be a supporter. You will also get our quarterly magazine that I promise you will enjoy, but more importantly, you will be helping to support the work that we do. Now, if I sound like I've been in a big hurry through all this, it's because I am. I'm heading out the door right now. Um, we are in the midst of a big winter storm that's blowing into northern Arizona. I got word that the Highway 40 and the 17 are only open for a little while today and closing back down. So we are going to make haste and get out of Dodge while the getting's good. We have a javelina tags down in the valley uh, and cannot wait. I don't want to miss that hunt. So we got to take this opportunity and get out of here. So I'm recording this one just a little bit premature uh, in, in uh, yeah, preparations for Monday's release. So I really hope you enjoyed this show. And um, yeah, I hope you're getting out there in the field, burning some boot leather and having a good time enjoying all of these wonderful public lands that we have here in Arizona. So with that, we will see you again in two weeks. Thanks for listening.